you're seated, if you're not already there, please turn to the book of Revelation. We begin tonight with God's help to, to look at this final book in the Bible. And uh, maybe if, if you, you weren't with us, uh, <clears throat> uh, the past two weeks in Sunday school, we've sort of set out some uh, interpretive framework for understanding the book of Revelation. And so uh, if you haven't listened to that, I suggest that you, you get that and the AV guys will you know, set you up of how you can uh, do that. So that will sort of be our reference point for interpreting the book. So my desire in this study is not to have the final word on this book. It's not to answer all of our questions. This is a book that has perplexed interpreters for years and will likely continue to do so until Jesus comes. Yet as we noted, it it is the book of Revelation. It uh, It is an unveiling, a disclosure of God's truth to God's world and there is great benefit for us as we come to this book. We, we just reflected in our, in our hymn there on the, on the Word of God, in the depth, the mind that it is. And as we think of a, a revelation from God, what a blessing it is to have the Word of God. What would we be, where would we be without the Bible? And and revelation isn't a privilege. It's not a right to be assumed. This is a mercy and grace of God. And I I was thinking about Psalm 19. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And and on and on it goes... uh, The Word of God is life to us. It is not just a book to be studied, but it is is life to us. So the revelation of God should not only influence our intellect, but our whole bodies, including our hands and our feet. It calls us to certain actions and behaviors. That's what Psalm Psalm 19, verse 11 says. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So there's no reward for being a a mere scholar of the Word of God. We must also be a practitioner. So that's true of all the Bible, and that's true as we come to the book of Revelation. And in fact, in the very beginning of this book, it calls us uh, to that obedience that is required of us when we come across this revelation. The, the verse 3 of chapter 1 tells us that blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in them. And so from the beginning, John is calling us to not just understand this book, but to obey it. So as we come to our study by way of introduction tonight, my, my exhortation to you and it's really the exhortation throughout this book, is be blessed by reading and heeding this revelation from Jesus Christ. Be blessed by reading and heeding this revelation from Jesus Christ. 
There are three headings by which I want to approach the first three verses tonight. What, how, and why of this revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, a caveat here at the beginning, there is going to be a lot of more detailed teaching in this sermon than would be in other sermons. But I think it's helpful as we uh, get into this uh, to slow down a little bit and understand what John is laying out in front of us. So I hope you'll find it beneficial. So our first uh, section here is the what. what. What is this? Is the revelation of Jesus Christ or a revelation of Jesus Christ, we see in the first verse here. What is this word, revelation? Apocalypsis. You may know that word. You may know what that word sounds like. We, we get our word apocalyptic or apocalypse from this word. What does it mean? Essentially, it's a disclosure of something hidden. Something wasn't previously known that now is revealed. It's a revelation. And this is not an unfamiliar word in the Bible. At the end of Romans, in chapter 16, verse 25, Paul says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation, the apocalypse, of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. So this, this revelation of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ was hidden in some ways in, in times past, but now has been revealed to us. It's been disclosed to us. Also in Ephesians 3, verse 3, how the mystery of the gospel of Christ was made known to me by revelation. Same word as I have written briefly, says Paul. So it's not an unfamiliar term in our Bible, but in fact, uh, for our purposes, the real essence of the meaning of this word comes from the Old Testament. And so on and on through this study, you'll, you'll probably hear me say, the meaning of this text or the meaning of this passage finds, finds its root in the Old Testament. And so we, we, we have to read Revelation with our Old Testament in hand. And I think the, the defining influence on this uh, word here comes from Daniel chapter 2. We've seen this in, in our reading, if you've, you connected those dots. As we noted in our Sunday school, the book of Daniel has a huge influence on the book of Revelation. In fact, uh, one scholar, Greg Beale, says that Daniel is the, the most important book used by John in the Revelation. And in fact, entire sections of the book of Revelation are patterned off after certain sections of the book of Daniel. And I think there's much validity to that argument. I'm not sure if John has a favorite Old Testament book, but I do think there are passages in which Daniel is clearly the pattern from which John gets the structure of his passage. And I think uh, chapter 1 here, verse 1 here, gets its structure from Daniel chapter 2. And hopefully that will become clear to us. So if you have your, your finger, you may want to put your thumb or a, or a bookmark in Daniel 2 and in Revelation 1 as we'll come back and forth. Now I want to see uh, the correspondence between these two texts. It, just listen to Daniel 2.28 
and listen to Revelation 1.1. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So Daniel uh, 2, uh, Revelation 1, is patterned off of Daniel 2. Why do I uh, say that? Well, you'll see the connections there. We talked about this word apocalypse or revelation. That word, in its verb form, occurs five times in Daniel chapter 2. That phrase that I read in Daniel 2 that says, he will show you what will be in the, or what must take place in the latter days. That occurs three times in Daniel 2. And this, this verb to make known, as we saw in, in chapter 1 of verse Revelation, that occurs two times in Daniel. So all of these terms are sort of crunched in one verse in, in Revelation chapter 1. So in Daniel, it is a revelation, what's going on in Daniel 2, as we read. It's a revelation concerning God's working in the world in terms of the future of world powers and the coming of God's kingdom. God shows Nebuchadnezzar, this is what's going to happen. This is the history of, of, of all the empires until God's kingdom comes. So we should expect that if John is, is using Daniel 2 in verse 1, that he's going to do something very similar to what Daniel was doing. And so we have a revelation. We have this unveiling here. And what is this revelation? It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It could be two things. It could be a revelation about Jesus Christ, meaning this is something of revealing Jesus Christ. Or it could be a revelation from Jesus Christ, meaning that he's the source of the revelation. Both are grammatically possible. But I think it's the latter one, the revelation from Jesus Christ, because we're told that God gave this to Jesus to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Certainly there are things about Jesus Christ that are revealed in this book. But this is his revelation that he gives to us. So by way of summary, what is this? This is Jesus Christ's revelation given to him by God that he has made known to us. This is an unveiling of God's working in the world in terms of its worldly kingdoms and the coming of God's kingdom, similar to what Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 2. So that is the what, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Secondly, how? How does this revelation become Christ? Well, God gave it to him. So the source of this ultimate source is, is the Father. God gives this revelation, this unveiling to Jesus Christ. Jesus gives that to the angel. The angel reveals it to John. And John reveals it to us. That is the pattern of the revelation here. 
But under this section of how, I, I want to focus more on how is this revelation revealed? Is this merely a letter explaining to us in, in full detail of the end of the world? And I want to focus on this, the last uh, part of, of verse 1 here. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. It's essential to understand this message uh, of revelation of how it's communicated to us. So I want to look at this word, he made it known. I talked about this word, semino, in Sunday school. This word, he made it known, can simply mean uh, that, to make something known that wasn't previously known. But in apocalyptic literature that we're reading here, it can mean signifying by means of symbols, meaning this word can take on the meaning of, I'm making known to you by way of signs and symbols. So this is important because if that's what this means here, then the book of Revelation is God's signifying his truth to us by means of symbols and signs. Meaning to interpret this book literally, as it said, is to blatantly miss how this revelation is made known. For example, if, if, if someone's speaking to you in poetic language versus ordinary or plain language, you, you've got to learn to know the distinguish or you'll have a misunderstanding. So in the Song of Solomon, Solomon poetically says of his beloved, your neck is like a tower of David built in rows of stone. Now, if he's using ordinary language, I don't think his beloved would like that. What do you mean, my neck's a tower? Is it long? Is it like a giraffe? Is it stony? Well, no, he's not speaking in ordinary, literal language. He's speaking poetically, and there's something, I'm not quite sure, about the tower of David uh, that comes to mind when he looks at his beloved's neck. And so the similar misunderstanding can happen if, if, we're, if we're looking for ordinary language and it's using symbolic language, we can easily misunderstand this book. So sh does this mean signifying by means of symbols? Why, why would we take it to mean it, when it that when it doesn't normally mean that? Well, once again, the book of Daniel is our key. That if John is patterning verse 1 after Daniel chapter 2, then how Daniel uses that term uh, should be uh, the similar way that John is using that term. And this, this verb, semino, occurs two times in Daniel, as I said. Chapter 2, verse 30, and chapter 2, verse 45. This is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That it, Look at verse 30 with me. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And, and how is God making known to, to Nebuchadnezzar? 
He's making known by, by symbolic language, statues of golden heads and all different sorts of metals all on, on the body. He doesn't just give Nebuchadnezzar a dream and, and, and tell him, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what's going to happen. You're Babylon and Assyria's coming and, or, or Greek, uh, the Greek empire. No, he, he makes it known by way of symbolism. This is similar to parables that Jesus Jesus taught in figurative language uh, to teach us spiritual truth. If you recall John's gospel, he he emphasizes many times uh, these signs that Jesus has done. Jesus performed turned the water into wine in the wedding in Cana. This was the first sign. This is our same word here in its, in its noun form. Once again, comment by Greg Beale, the commentator. The allusion to Daniel 2, 28 to 30 indicates that a symbolic vision and its interpretation is going to be part of the warp and woof of the means of communication throughout Revelation. So if this is true, then how we interpret is it's, we have to approach Revelation that it is giving us intentionally symbolic language to be interpreted that way. It is signs, as it were, pointing to something else. Now, it's generally a little bit shaky ground if you try to uh, you know, interpret something based upon one word. But I think as we read Revelation, this is pretty clear. Because signs and symbolism is exactly what this book gives us. You don't find ten-headed creatures and beasts and dragons in the book of Romans. In Ephesians, Jesus does not have seven heads and seven eyes like he does in the book of Revelation. Why? Those are letters written in plain letter form in ordinary, literal, we might say, language. However, that is not the case in the book of Revelation because God has made it known to us, this revelation. That is, he has revealed himself by way of signs and symbolic language, which tells us as the reader that we should see the content of this book as symbols pointing to truth rather than as the literal objects themselves. And so John is teaching us from the very beginning how to read this book. He's saying, this is something different here. This is to be, this is made known to you by way of signs, and you should read it that way. Now, maybe you're having trouble with this, but it's important to emphasize that figurative language doesn't mean it's not true. Or what it's referring to is not historical. I thought of the the book Animal Farm. If you've read that, remember that from high school or whatever. What is George Orwell doing? He's using all of these animals on a farm to talk about totalitarian government. By way of signs through the animals, he's communicating truth about his contemporary society. I think the book of Revelation functions very similarly. 
So although the language here is not going to be direct or ordinary, but rather symbolic and figurative. And so if this is true, then as we read it, the weight of of it is to be read symbolically rather than literally. I've heard people say the opposite. Read it literally unless it's symbolically. Well, if it's from the beginning, tell us to read it symbolically, we should lean that way unless led to, to read it otherwise. So that's important. And you might say, well, why not be direct? Why not just give us a detailed description. Why use signs and symbols? Essentially, you know, why, why use figurative metaphoric language or, or poetic language even? And I remember one time in, in college, I was in a poetry class, and auditing the class was an engineering professor from the school, which is commendable. And I remember we were talking and he was, he said, he, he wrestled with the question, why poetry? Why, why communicate stuff in such deeply metaphoric, dense, not easy to understand, readily uh, available uh, language? Why not say it directly? And then I said, he said something I thought was very insightful. He goes, because it can't be said any other way. That the nature of poetic language is that it raises our imagination, it raises our language ability to say things, to see things, to feel things that we couldn't in ordinary language. Back to the Song of Solomon, I think, that helps us here. So, you, you know, <clears throat> guys, you can tell your wife, you're, you're, you're beautiful. I think the, the, the features of your face are just beautiful. And that's nice. Or you could tell her, Your lips are like scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Now, what's the point of the poetic language? It's to move. It's to flatter. It's to woo. Where direct language might not be uh, as moving. And even outside of love language, think of Psalm 23, the great image of God is our shepherd, a, a very present help. He, he leads us by still, uh, still waters. The, this picture as God is our shepherd and all that that creates in us. The psalm could just say, you know, God is your protector, he provides for you. And that's true. But this image of God as shepherd and we as sheep and he, he leading us like the shepherd to, to green waters and, and that refreshing cool water that God brings to our souls. That captures us. And I think that's what we have in the book of Revelation. Why is this revelation made known by means of sign? It, it, it captures our imagination. It, it, it moves us as we see the drama. I was uh, struck again. I think it never gets old, the, the picture of Jesus in Revelation 1. I mean, if that doesn't cause us to wow at, at the Savior, uh, we, we need to be awakened spiritually. And I think that's the power of Revelation. It's these powerful images that capture our hearts, capture our imaginations, and that's the purpose of this here. So that's the how. How is this revelation being communicated? And finally now, the why. Why is this revelation being communicated? 
two related points under this. What well, shows us in verse 1 here, the revelation which God gave to him, God gave to Jesus. Why? To show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Now, you may already be guessing, where does this line come from? <clears throat> the book of Daniel. Surprise, surprise. So hopefully you're not too tired now. We're going to go back again to the book of Daniel. We're going to look at this phrase, what must soon take place. We have an exact correspondence between the words here. The, the words are exactly the same uh, in Daniel uh, three times in Daniel, uh, and once in Revelation. Uh, it, look at verse 28. He made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And, and John says what must soon take place. It, we don't quite see it in our, our English translations, but the, the word structure there is the same. Except one Important difference. And remember, we said in Sunday school that you not only need to see what is similar when John uses an Old Testament passage, but you have to ask yourself, what is different between these two passages? So Daniel says, what must take place in the latter days? And John says, what must soon take place? which I think is an intentional change on John's part uh, for uh, a reason. Why would John change latter days to soon or quickly? He's signifying to us, reader, alert, what Daniel saw and interpreted to be as in the latter days, way out there, is now imminent and upon us and soon to take place. So let's put this together. John makes reference to Daniel 2 to show the similarities between these two texts. These are symbolic visions having to do with God's working with the nations and the coming of his kingdom. Yet from Daniel's perspective, these are in the distant future. These are the latter days. But for John, they are soon to take place. It is imminent. In fact, some of these things have already begun. At the end of verse 3, John tells us, the time is near. So God is revealing to us his work among the kingdoms and the work of his coming kingdom. Yet our redemptive historical position is much closer to the consummation of all these things than in Daniel's day. The, the imminence is more eminent in our day and age. So that's the purpose. God is, as he disclosed to, to Nebuchadnezzar, he is disclosing to us what must take place. And this is no longer the latter days. This is now soon. In fact, it's come upon you. You think of Jesus coming and say, the kingdom of God is, is among you. It's, it's, it's here. It's arriving. So God gave us this revelation for that purpose. And secondly, he gave us this revelation to bless us. 
Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. There are seven blessings in, in Revelation. So this is the first one here, and I think that's intentional of, of why there are seven in this book. It loves the, book of, it loves the number seven. And the point here is to remind us that Revelation, this book of Revelation should not just satisfy our intellect, but it should change our behavior. Because what's the blessing here? Well, blessed is the one who reads aloud and those who hear. And so that's structured of how this book, John would have written this book, he would have sent it off to these churches, and, and a reader would have read this to the congregation. So John is saying, bless the one who reads, those who hear. But what's the second aspect uh, in order to be blessed? And who keep what is written in this book. So how's this blessing received? Reading and keeping what is written in there. So if, if John is telling us that we're blessed if we keep what is written in there, John assumes that revelation can be understood. Contrary to, to, to lots of opinions. Now that doesn't mean we understand it fully, but the essential message of holding fast to Christ, which is the essential keeping message of the book of Revelation, is easy to understand. So bless is those who read and who keep what is written. It doesn't say blessed is the one who understands everything and can, can explain it perfectly. But bless the one who keeps. Bless is the one who holds fast to Christ amidst the uh, opposition that he or she faces in this world. So there's a blessing for us as we come to this book. But it's, it's only a blessing insofar as we read and keep. Not just read and understand. Read and keep this book. So as we study this book, remember this blessing. And remember it comes from reading and heeding. Obeying the, re, the revealed truth of God. So, so by way of quick application, which the sermon lacks much of, as we study this, this book, as we analyze a portion, as you read the book, ask yourself, what's the exhortation to be heeded here? What, what am I to obey? How, and how might I implement this in my life? Because John gives us a sense of urgency here. The time is near. The, the return of Christ is imminent. The end of the ages has come upon us. The kingdom of God is advancing. Final judgment is coming. And, and so you think of Jesus' warnings in the gospel of, of don't, don't, get, don't get caught up in the cares of this world. Don't get caught up in all of these things. Don't, don't be unfaithful over what your master has, has placed over you. Stay alert. The time is near. And blessed is the one who reads and keeps this book. And as you do that, you will experience the blessing pronounced here 
in the book. So may God give us hearts ready to obey him as we study this book together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the variety of literature in your book. We thank you for the wonderful poetic images that you use to communicate your truth to us. You, you Lord, step down. Uh, you, you accommodate to, to our feeble, weak minds so that we might understand something of your nature. We thank you for this mercy. We thank you for this book of Revelation. May we be blessed as we study and as we give heed to the exhortations in here. In Jesus' name, amen.